0: you for giving us yourself and just what we've sung. That's our deepest desire, is to love you the way you love us. Thank you for each one here today. I pray your strong hand of favor, grace would guide us to open our hearts and minds to you that we might walk with you in the direction you call us to. We pray in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. And thank you, worship team. Let's give them a hand again this morning. Well, as you've heard this morning, God is doing some really wonderful things, some special things here at ABF, and we want to thank all of you who are praying. We've encouraged you this week, if, uh, this month, if you're not part of the prayer team, we encourage you to, to sign up for that. That's five minutes a day for five times a week, five by five, and uh, we give out the uh, online um, the prayer requests, we encourage you to do that. Um, also, this week, um, as you've heard, we're encouraging, uh, we're, all the month of September is sign up for small groups, get involved in one. It's the way to really make uh, a difference in your life, and really that's what the church is all about. Bill mentioned we also had almost 40 guys, we had 39 guys at their men's uh, summit on Friday morning, so it's great to see men coming out to that as well. Uh, answer this uh, question for me, who said these words? Who said, all that I am or hope to be... I owe to my angel mother. Who knows who said that? Who said, say it louder. Abraham Lincoln. He did. And who was he speaking about? You see, his mother, Nancy Hanks, died when he was nine. He was referring to his stepmom, Sarah Bush. Isn't that interesting? And today we're talking about parenting and grandparenting. And uh, God's plan as we finish up a series, Uh, we're in the fourth week of a series entitled uh, God's Design for Thriving Families. And, um, you know, as as a pastor over the years, uh, we've gotten some uh, interesting information and some funny things. And I thought you might want to hear some letters kids have written to pastors. Here's one. It says, Dear Pastor, I know God loves everybody, but he never met my sister. That was uh, yours sincerely, Arnold, age eight, Nashville. Here's another one, dear pastor. My father should be a minister. Every day he gives us a sermon about something. That was Robert, age eleven. Here's another, one. dear pastor. I'm sorry I can't give more money in the plate, but my father didn't give me a raise in my allowance. Could you have a sermon about a raise in my allowance? <laughs> Love, Patty, age ten. And then it says, dear pastor, my mother's very religious. She goes to to play bingo at church every week, even if she has a cold. That's in that age nine. And that's the one I like. Dear Pastor, I think a lot more people would come to your church if you moved it to Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> and how about this one? Dear Pastor, please pr- say a prayer for our little league team. We need God's help or a new pitcher. <laughs> well, kids are great, and they say uh, funny things along the way. And, and today we're talking about the whole concept of parenting. And you know, in this church, there are some very wise grandparents. And parents, and so some of this message is directed toward grandparents as well. As you'll hear me say, God gives us a second chance. After the first service, a man came up and his kids are growing, he has grandkids. I said, I wish I had done this differently. Anybody here who's a parent or grandparent who wishes you hadn't done something differently? (laughs) Yeah, we all do, right? And uh, I I would like to share with you this morning that I'm, I'm proof that God can use a very imperfect parent if we're pointed in the right direction. We're saying, God, help me do it. He uses all kinds of imperfect people, and he works through us, and we can make a difference. And I've probably made more mistakes uh, than most people have thought about in being a parent. But I want to share some of what not to do with you today, <laughs> as well as some what to do's that I think God wants us to hear. And also, uh, there's some single parents here. And you have a unique challenge. I was raised by a single mom who raised four boys. And all of them walk with Christ, and all of them love him. And uh, some of the adversity that she faced is what God used to drive us, four boys, toward Him. So there's great hope. And uh, I would also say that when we talk today, we're going to talk all the way from the terrific twos to the tremendous teen years and beyond. So we'll cover all those. And as a youth pastor, uh, I'm going to sound a little weird, I always look forward to my kids becoming teenagers. And it was a great time. I didn't say it was easy. I spent a lot of time on my knees, but I learned a lot. And uh, hopefully there's some help there. And for those of you who are grandparents, just want you to know you are great coaches. You have potential as uh, cheerleaders to make a difference in the lives of your grandkids. And uh, let's let's see what God does this morning. Um, You know, when we talk about uh, parenting, I also know that it's either one of the most rewarding things on earth or one of the most guilt-inducing things. As you talk to a a group of people, there's, there's joy and there's pain all at the same time. And remember, none of us were raised perfectly either. And we tend to do what was done toward us or what we saw. And some will say, well, I'm going to do it exactly the opposite. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes we do and sometimes we don't. But uh, God has plenty to say to us. And today I also wanted to talk about um, a phenomenon that's going on really in the last, it's risen greatly in the last 15 years. And that is what I call uh, the challenge that today of so many parents who are intimidated by their children. And the little terrorists have taken control of the asylum. And the question is, how do we get it back? And what does God have to say to us? I also want to say this, that uh, the scriptures make it clear. It says in Psalm 127 that children are a gift from the Lord. Some of you wonder if it was a joke kind of gift. Uh, uh, But he says, no, he says they are a reward from the Lord. In fact, it says they're like arrows in the hands of a warrior that can be directed. And parents, in that sense, we're kind of the bow that helps direct them where they go. Um, And and, and then it, it goes on to say at the end of that, that blessed is the man or woman who has a quiver full of them. And that's kind of a challenge to us in the Western world. But it's the idea of the blessing that God intends to give. I didn't say this in the first service, but you do know why God gives us kids, right? Parents, children, you know why he gives us those? Two reasons. One, to get even for how we've treated him. And number two, because he has a sense of humor. No, for the reason of God has a deep desire to raise up a godly next generation. And that's what he wants to do. I also want to say this. If you're a parent and you're worried about your teenager or your terrific two or whatever's happening right now, the real test of a parent is wait till your kids hit about 35 and you'll find out the parenting job that you really did. Being a youth pastor, I'd see parents come to me all worried, and I'd say, you know, I know your son. Yeah, he's giving you a little grief right now, but I've heard him. I know his heart. Hang in there. Keep praying for him. And other ones who appeared to be the perfect kids at the time were heading in a different direction. Their parents just didn't know it at the time. So God has ways of working in all of our lives, and he has the last word. Speaking of the last word, the last words of the Old Testament go something like this. I will send the prophet, and it says that... He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. He says, Lest I come and strike the land with a curse. Think there's any curse on the land today, folks? Yeah. And God wants to reverse the curse. And so part of what we're doing today is to hear what God has to say to help us in the direction that we want to go. And um, regardless, we cannot go back and change the past. But, you know, we do have the present, and we can move toward the future, whether we're a parent, whether our kids are grown or gone, or whether we are grandparents. God's saying, listen to me. You still have an influence. And uh, so that's hopefully what we're going to look at today to give you some help and some encouragement along the way. The largest family on earth is the church. Did you know the church is a step family? We all have the same real father. We just have different earthly parents. And so God understands all the challenges of parenting. He is the ultimate parent. He's our true dad. And um, we want to look at some fresh ways to look at the church today, some fresh ways to look at relationships and the parent's role. And uh, to talk, first of all, we're going to address this issue of, of, of a generation of younger children who are, raising, who are being raised in some degree being out of control. And how do we help parents who are intimidated? Now, before I left, uh, some of you know I was a senior pastor for 30 years, and I would get letters and emails from people all the time. And here's and in the last uh, 10, 10 especially years, I would get letters from young parents saying they were afraid to discipline their children in public. We actually had a woman, whose little Leroy, went off, and you know, he was like a screaming banshee you know, in, the, uh, in, in the, uh, the grocery store. She took him out, took him all the way into the car. He just was going nuts, and she swatted him. A woman followed her out, reported her to the authorities, and she had someone knock on the door. Unbelievable. that That's the kind of culture that some of you are being... And I understand that would be intimidating. But is there any way to deal with it, uh, particularly today? And then also, uh, we know this because of the high degree of divorce... That we talk about kids who grow up in two separate countries, and what we mean by that is they, they have one set of rules at one place and another at another, uh, the other home. We've talked about that. We also know the, the challenge in, in step families where often there is an increased permissiveness because mom or dad might feel guilty from the divorce they went through. Instead of being the parent they really should be, they just ease off and they kind of let, let the kids do what they want. That's also extremely dangerous. Or you can have the ultra control person who wants to just control everything. That's just as dangerous. So you have the pendulum of of permissiveness to total control. And God says, no, there's something in the middle of this that he wants us to know and understand. But where does it begin? By the way, other than that, families are easy, aren't they? Where does it begin? Well, first of all, the the key principle from Scripture is build a purpose or value-centered foundation. Build a purpose or value-centered foundation. You say, but wait a minute, our kids are grown, they're, they're, they're far down the, the line. You know, it's never too late to start doing the right thing. And some of you aren't even parents yet. Some of you are just newly married or young. And listen carefully and, and ask God, what kind of a home do you want? Um, because it doesn't happen automatically. It's, it's a garden that you plant. The relationships that you build into. And so we'll, we'll peek at those. Um, years ago, uh, my in-laws live in... Um, Santa Monica Canyon. And I remember some of you might, remember, if you come off of uh, the, the highway and you turn up to, to go up the canyon, on the left-hand side, there was is a Victorian uh, type of a bed and breakfast. I remember well over 20 years ago when they brought that in on a truck. And they put it in there, and then it took them four to five years just to set the foundation for that bed and breakfast. That's a lot like a family. What kind of foundation are we building? Are we building it on values and convictions that lead to life change in the right direction. Now, most of us, when we got married in America, we, um, just like, by the way, that house, and any other house, when they build them today, you have to build them to earthquake specifications, the foundations. You know that, right? This is California, and it shakes around here a little bit. But, you know, most Americans get married without earthquake-proof foundations, they're not prepared for the storms to come. That's why only about 30% make it and thrive. And so God is talking to us about the very foundation that we lay, and the key to it is found in the first verse. Why don't you read this with me from the message, Ephesians chapter 1. Would you join me, please? It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. Had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. We've talked many times about God has a purpose for your life and mine. He has a mission. The question is, are we tuned into it? And what is the foundation to the whole thing? It's based on our creator, our maker, our redeemer, our sustainer, the Savior Jesus Christ. And home is a launching pad for life. That's what it's for, not for parents to control kids, but to launch them into life, to become the people God designed them to be, to make a difference in this world for Him. That's the mission that He's given us, and we spent a couple weeks talking the very first week, God's designed from the family, uh, going all the way back to Genesis to do that. And so, wise families are going to spend time, what are the purposes of God? Uh, there are many books written on purpose and mission in our day, and they take them out, look them over, and ask God to, to build that into your family. Because the purpose of God helps us redefine not only life, but key words that everybody says and lives by. For example, uh, we talk about happiness. We talk about success. But do we talk about success from God's point of view? And um, much of what we do today doesn't focus on the outcome. And lives can be wasted and family time wasted until we understand the mission of God, where he wants us to go. So how important we, we understand that. And we also know that children and parents and adults all thrive in homes where people live for higher purposes than their own satisfaction and their own happiness. Thriving doesn't come from that kind of mentality. It does come from understanding what God's values are because we're stronger when we are trained with lasting values. We're more secure. We're more confident when we know there are values that last. And notice this from Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is useless or in vain. Now, we know he's not talking about brick and mortar and, and beams. He's talking about the lives inside that house. Unless God is involved, actively working, it's not going to work very well. In fact, we all know the, the flip side of that. And if God's pr- uh, purposes are our first priority... Then it shapes our values and choices. It's going to shape our inner lifestyle, and then it's going to impact the behavior. And that's the way God works inside out. See, he wants to impact our hearts first, and then that begins to impact the behavior and how we relate to each other. So here's the question this morning. What are the values? What are the convictions you and your family are living for? Does anybody know what they are? Are they written out? And what direction are they pointing? And every family, by the way, has a set of values. Did you know that? They may not be expressed, but we're living by them all the time. (laughs) And if if it's kind of like everybody does what they want, well, then that's the value. And so one of the keys is this, is we need to establish values and rules as a guide. Now, what what do we mean by that? Uh, Family might say, hey, you know, we value education. We're all going to go to college. That's terrific. We happen to have had that value. And we want our kids to have a good job and have a nice kind of home. But the question is what kind of timeless values do we have that are going to last that make a difference? Is a value in your home honesty? Is a value integrity? Is a value generosity in helping people who have needs? Is it how we use our lips? Do we use them to bless or to take other people down? Is it serving others so that they can succeed? Do we treat other people with respect? What are the values? A couple years ago, my brother, pastor in the Midwest, uh, his, his wife's parents died, one of them. And he got a, about $100,000 inheritance when it was worth 100000 It's not worth $100,000 is not worth 100000 today. You figured that out. But in those days, it was. And I said, oh, David, what are you going He called me. He was all excited. He said, this is terrific. I said, yeah, man. Well, well, tell me about it. He says, we've already found a place to invest it at a 15% return. And now we can keep giving to our friends, our missionary friends, and different people and help start new ministries around the world. He was all excited about it. You know, I didn't hear, well, where's the new car? How are you going to remodel the house? And not that they couldn't have. I mean, God gave him money to do it if he wanted. But he wasn't. What kind, of inform- what kind of message was he communicating to their kids? There's some eternal values there. They didn't preach it. They didn't make a big deal. They were just excited about doing that. And those values communicate, do they not? Now, here's another thing about values. The right values or convictions. Remember the difference? We've talked about the difference between a conviction and a value. What's the difference? Anybody remember that? Because I know you remember everything I've ever said since I've been here. You sleep on them at night say, oh, just remember what he said. A value is something we believe is important. The conviction is something we'll sacrifice for to make it happen. But values are also the key to the right kind of rules. We don't have rules for rules sake. Rules are simply guides to things that are and they're not made to control people. But they're rather to teach the three R's. We'll look at those in just a moment. And two of them are responsibility and respect, as well as resourcefulness. And it gives, it, rules give um, a guide. And remember, we've talked about this. As your kids get older, the amount of rules go down. And you also let them help choose the consequences if they don't keep it. And by, the way, if you do it right, kids are usually tougher on themselves than you will be if you get that, let them be part of the whole thing. It's amazing how that works. So here's the question. Do you have values written down in your family? Has anybody? You could go home today and say, hey, let's take what are our top five and start writing them down and pray about them and talk over them. And see what will begin to happen. And then how do we begin to live by those? Some families have a written constitution that says, here's what we're all about. They'll say, hey, we're here to serve God. We're here to build others up. God, the scriptures are our standard. We will preserve and build the dignity of other people, those here and those not here. We'll develop our gifts and our abilities to the best of we can so we can honor God, so we can serve Him. We'll put family above our own personal interests. We'll practice forgiveness. We'll use our creativity, our resourcefulness to make this world a better place. And our value is the courage to do what's right Is our definition of success, even if we're opposed by it. I know some families that have chosen that one, and their kids have amazing courage. That our goal is to do what's right, not to have others applaud us, but to do what's right, and the courage of those kids is just amazing. And also then, to say it's, um, in that same kind of family, it's better to attempt and fail to do the right thing than it is to just don't ruffle the waters. That's called courageous faith and that's what makes leaders for the next generation you know one of the values I've shared this that we had is our kids would go to church and as long as they lived under the roof we we're gonna go to church now um, sometimes that wasn't real popular and as they got older we would say you know you pick the service you want to go to if you want to go just to youth whatever and frankly if you don't like what's happening at the church you can go to another one but we're gonna go as long as we live on the roof we're gonna do that and here's a reason for that how many of you remember when you were 16, 17, or 18 years old? We absolutely knew it was best for us, didn't we? We knew everything that was just best for our lives. Of course, we didn't. And our 16, 17, and 18 year olds don't either. Now, being in church doesn't mean they're going to choose God. Let me ask how many kids wake up in the morning and say, uh, you know, how many parents say, you don't have to, if you don't want to go to school this year, you don't have to? Why on earth do we send them off to a public school because their faith isn't going to be built there, but we don't have the courage to say, hey, we're going to go to church together? At least they have an opportunity to hear something. And they're going to have to have more than that for it to, to connect. But those are just one of the things that we did along the way. And what do we do? We said, when we fail, we'll show each other grace, but we'll hold each other accountable to honor God and to each other to make our world a better place. Now, parents, that is your role, that's mine. We talked about child dedications. We changed them at the church where I was for many years. We call them a parent dedication. It's what the parent is going through. We can't make a child do anything. But we can say, God, I will accept my role as a parent because that's what God calls me to do is accept my role in spite of or whatever my, our kids might do. And it's, it's a lot of work to bring a family along. And so, and by the way, when you write out these things, we'll talk in a minute about why it's important also to spell out consequences. Everybody's on the same page when that begins to happen. They go together with rewards. And so begin to write out your, uh, your personal values and, and purposes. And then the next thing that's very, very important is to present a united front. We talked about this. Uh, Jesus said this, didn't he? He says, a divided house or divided home is doomed. That's true in any marriage. And so are we on the same page as husband and wife? And parenting is a test. For parents to get on the same page. And that means two people need to walk with Christ. Now let me say this already. I know some of you are in a lopsided relationship. You're doing 90% of the spiritual input. And you're getting about 10% of any help over here. That's difficult. And even if your mate isn't going to come along and be part of it. You do it God asks. And watch what happens. I can tell you some wonderful people I know. Who were raised by one parent. Who was going to do it God's way. When the other one ignored God. And so take heart in that. But if you can you want to work together. And that's where husbands and wives have to learn how to talk with each other, disagree respectfully, because kids are watching all that, aren't they? And begin to to become spiritual buddies along the way to navigate the challenges that we have of being the kind of parent that God wants us to be. And and the other thing is that when we talk about what, what is going to make it happen is that a parent who begins to find their center in Christ... And the greatest thing you can do for your mate or for your kids is is to love Jesus Christ. And you know what? That strength eventually begins to help others to follow. Something else happens. Because there's a lot of rejection in this world. And there's a lot of rejection in families. Sometimes it only lasts a few days. Sometimes it can be more. How do we handle that? If my joy and happiness is going to come from how much my husband or wife loves me daily and expresses that. And how well the kids do. You can be on some very shaky ground. Because then we're dependent on circumstances, right? But the more my foundation is in Christ, God gives me the courage to love them. And God gives me the ability to go forward. Bernard of Clairvaux. Don't you love that kind of name? Bernard of Clairvaux, John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila. What if we named our kids that way today? I tease my friends when I type. I I call myself Orlando de la Playa. And some of you know a little Spanish. You know what that is. But anyhow, Bernard of Clairvaux talked about four kinds of love. The first two really aren't love at all. He said the first kind of love is the one where I love myself solely. That's narcissistic. That's selfish. That's sin. There's another kind, I love you for my sake. <laughs> and that uses people for personal gain. That's not love. The third one, he says, listen to this one. Love you to love you for your sake. I respect your value and I wants the best for them. That's better. But he says that's not the highest level. Now listen carefully because this may fool you. He said the highest level of love is to Accept God's acceptance of myself for your sake. Did you catch that? And here's why. To accept God's acceptance means we find our value in Christ, not what we do, not what others say about us. And so then you can honor your your spouse. You can cope with struggles. You can even disagree without the fear of personal rejection because your identity isn't in them. It's in God himself. And that gives you a strength and a platform to take on all the responsibilities that come. I watched a mother. That's how she lived. I watched my aunt the same way. Because their center was not in their husbands who eventually walked away, but it was in Christ. And they had tremendous strength along the way. And again, this helps overcoming the challenges of of, um, uh, rejection. The third key is studying our own kids' heart. We're going to camp on this a little bit for a few minutes. Notice uh, the the passage that's there for us. It says, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not turn from it. Now, many of you know that verse. It's been misquoted, abused, and misused. Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean if I simply do enough external things, have a few devotions with my kids, take them to church, everything's going to be happily ever after. That's not what that says. In fact, this is very interesting where it says, Train up a child. The word there is a word of what happened to a newborn baby. You see, when a child was born in the Hebrew culture, the midwives would come in because no woman ever delivered alone. She had all the help of the community. And so they would come in and they would take dates and they would crush the dates and they would rub the residue on on that on the palate of the baby's mouth to create a sucking (laughs) motion. And then the baby began to nurse. And that's the word used to train them up. It means create a desire for the things of God. So the role of the parent is to create a desire for the things of God in their home through their own life. So part is what do they see in us? And we're going to talk with her a little bit about how that happens. It's not just talking about God, it's living like Him that helps make all that happen. And then it says train them up in the way he or she should go. What's that about? That just means every one of our kids is like a snowflake. You know, and some of them are flakier than others. And but it means that they're different, they're unique. Now about 40 years ago, my kid brother got into the Myers-Briggs personality thing. He's done a lot of research on it and they don't even call it personality anymore. It's brain typing. And it's actually connected to DNA. But whatever it is, you know, I learned early on about the patterns in my kids, my own life, my wife and family, and the uniqueness of each one of them. And without going into all that and having four children and Patricia had four you know, before we were married. And um, even now, knowing their types is very, very helpful. I had uh, um, three kids who were all intuitive. That meant they jumped jump gaps in their reasoning. They could pick it up. And I had one who's a little sensei. I'm going to have lunch with her today. Very bright, great student. But she needed a sequential learning. And they'd make fun of her when she didn't get the joke. And I'd say, lighten up, you clowns. And then would, would walk her through it, and she'd get it. In fact, I'll remind her of that today when we have lunch. But it helps to know. But... What we're going to look at just for a moment is from a very helpful work that was written some years ago called The Eight Cries of a Spirited Child. Now, if you have a spirited child, you already know it. <laughs> uh, they're, they're kind of, uh, they, they challenge you as a parent. And how many of you here were, were spirited children growing up, gave your parents? Okay, you see some honest hands? If you, yeah, I bet more than that were. And what we're going to see is that kids are speaking all the time to his parents, but the problem is they don't speak parent ease. They speak kid or they speak tinglish, okay? And so how do we know what they're really saying? And what we're going to do is we're going to give you some expressions and see if you can fill in the blanks here. And um, um, when it, it helps you, too, because when you're at home and sometimes when they're real little and you're working with your own little uh, terrorist, uh, it, it helps you understand what they're trying to do. So the first one is this, look at me. How many kids ever say, do something like, look at me? I don't mean the verbal words, but they act out. They do different things. They're going to get your attention, right? What are they really saying? Would someone please understand me? By the way, do adults do that? How do we do that as adults? How do we say, look at me? Well, we say, hey, look at what I'm driving. Look at what I just bought, look at my clothes, look at my whatever it is, or this is what I've done. We do the same thing, because we're looking for recognition, but we're also looking for someone to understand us. So how are we doing that? And they're saying, you know, we, by, you know, they're moody, maybe they're angry, or whatever it might be, they're saying, look at me, because they want some understanding. The second one is this, did I do good? Now, little kids will ask you that, but teenagers will too, they just won't say those words. And we still do it as parents. We still do it as adults. It means this: encourage me. Look for the positive in my life. How many of you growing up had too much encouragement? How many had too much positive input into your life? Say, please, no more, stop it. No, we didn't have that. And there are parents who wish they had done much more of it. But again, encouragement is powerful in all of our lives. How about this one? When our kids say you're not listening, my kids used to say, "Dad, you're not listening." I was watching a ball game. I said, "Of course I'm not listening." (laughs) I said, "Wait for a timeout." You know, we'll. They had ways, you know, little kids are great because they'll come and get right in your face like this. Dad. And that's actually better because they do get our attention. But when they say that, there means this. Listen and talk to me. They want some involvement in our life. The fourth one is, I want to do it my way. How many have ever had children that have said that or acted? I'd rather do it my way. Every hand goes up. Come on. If you're a parent, every hand has gone. Sure, we did the same thing. I want to do it my way. What it means is this, teach me how to cooperate. It's the heart's cry. It says this, don't give in to me too soon. And our goal is to develop as a team. When a kid says, I want to do it my way, they're really crying out for cooperation. So what are we doing at home that's helping kids to cooperate? Let me give you a little clue. Make sure everybody in the family has chores. Okay? We'll come back to that one. No exceptions on that one. Fifth one is this, you can't make me. <laughs> you can't make me. Any, well, you don't have to raise your hand. Yeah, we've heard that one too. You can't make me. It says what? Give me boundaries and discipline me. It says, parents, don't give in to the temper tantrums. And don't reward bad behavior. A kid talks back and says, now if you quit doing that, mommy will give you a sucker or a lollipop. You've got to be kidding me. You just rewarded bad behavior. And I understand why that's true in our culture. Parents just want to calm you know, little Leroy down. That's the worst message we can communicate. We don't want to reward that. (laughs) We do want to give them some boundaries because they gain security from boundaries and discipline. How about this? Some parents of teenagers have heard this one. I hate you. What are they saying? Here's what they're saying. Help me deal with my anger and my frustration. See, if you take it personally, you're going to miss the whole thing. I, I've only had one of my kids ever say that. and It was not the one you would expect. It was one of my daughters. And I knew she loved her dad a lot. She was just trying to see if I would do whatever, you know, get my attention. And I looked right at her and I said, you know, I can understand why you feel that way. I'd be ticked off too. I said, but you know what? If you keep talking that way, guess what's going to happen? Talk to me about it, but don't you don't need the name stuff. And I said, we'll just have another wonderful weekend. You'll be home with Dad this weekend. We'll be great. We'll be pulling weeds all weekend. (laughs) Let's talk. And how about this one? I don't want to. Means what? Give me the opportunity to develop responsibility. See, hear what's behind the words is what, what they're saying here. And by the way, let me just say it again. We'll come back to it. Kids need chores. They need duties as long as they're under your roof. Why? We'll go to it in a minute. They need to learn responsibility and resourcefulness if they're going to make it in this world. And I see some kids looking at their parents, so I won't say more on that one. Number eight, I'm a big kid. <laughs> now, when I would hear that, it means what they're really saying is guide me to maturity. My answer to that would be, you want to be treated like an adult? Yes. I say, OK, act like one. And uh, you'll, you'll see more of that. And so we begin to work in these areas. And then we need to understand this to move from there to focus on the three R's of parenting. Three R's of parenting, and then take charge. Let me give them to you. The first is relationship, which is another word for love. This one we understand the concept. But we need to also understand what our real dad is like. Our real dad, our heavenly father, how does he love us? Notice this from Psalm 103 As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion. On those who fear him. Hmm. He's a father of all compassion. In fact, the very next verse says not only that, he remembers that we are but dust. God has compassion because he knows how weak we are. (laughs) But he chooses to have a relationship with us. He initiates. He reaches out to us through his son. But we also know that love breeds acceptance. It breeds affirmation and understanding. Something that we all crave. Even when we're kids and we're in rebellion. We still crave that acceptance. I remember uh, when my uh, kid brother uh, was kind of the only one of my brothers who acted out and he didn't do it for very long and he got in some trouble and I don't know if he was 14 or so at the time. He, I remember him saying, You know, I think I could shoot somebody and mom would still love me. And he was right. He could have and mom would have still loved him because he was involved in an acceptance that was so powerful. He was sucked into it, and he couldn't get away from it. By the way, I tell parents, if your kids are going a little haywire and whatever, and as they get older, it's pretty hard to reject love. Just keep loving them, and love their kids if they have kids. Watch what God does that. We just take, sometimes we take too short of a view of what that's all about. Also, love is something that paints a bright picture of the future for our kids. And as parents, some of you say, well, my kids are gone. I wish I had done more of that. You can still do it for your grandkids, and you can go back and do it for your adult children. How do you paint a bright picture? Is that making up something nice? No. It's simply telling what God says about it. Ephesians 2.10 says what? He created us in Christ Jesus for good works. I used to say to my kids, you know, God's got something incredible for your future. I don't know what it is, but he does. Romans 8.32 says, he would not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will we not also along with him give us, freely give us all things? God's planning to bless your future. It says he began a good work in you. He'll do it until the day Jesus comes back. He's giving you a desire both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And you go on and on and just share the promises of God. See, I don't know what God's plan is, but it does say his will for you is good, pleasing, and perfect. It's better than mine. It's better than yours. And I'm just going to pray that for you. And sometimes they'll go, huh? (laughs) They don't understand all that it means, but you're painting a bright picture. And I told you before where I got that. The second holy trinity in my life, my mom, my grandmother, my aunt told me that when I was a kid. And I was just naive and stupid enough I believed them. God was going to do something in my life. I I held on to it. When there were times I had great, tremendous self-doubt. And then I'd be reminded of the promises. This is what God said. Paint a bright picture for your kids. Because we all want hope. We all want to know we have a life that's significant. It's going to make a difference. And it's never too late. You can start it even with grown children. And you can just tell them you're praying for them. Let them know there will be a future grace in their life, a future favor grace to strengthen their faith. Another one that builds relationship that parents, wise parents to know, is to play with your kids and to laugh with them. Now, folks, I made a lot of mistakes, tons of mistakes as a parent, which is proof God uses imperfect parents and does some amazing things in kids. But one thing I didn't fail in is we had fun. We had a lot of fun. In fact, I got in trouble for fun sometimes. With, with kids, and, and, and uh, there's a whole lot of laughing going on. And I was teasing my kids. You probably figured that out by now. Uh, sometimes the girls cried when I teased them, so I had to learn not to do that. But the boys especially, if you're going, parents, if you don't have a sense of humor, when you hit the teenage years, you're in deep trouble. So gain one when they hit the teenage years, especially with boys. And boys were easy. You know, I could take them outside. We could wrestle. We could play ball. We could hike, ride bikes, you know, d- jump off cliffs and things boys love to do. And, uh, but with girls, it was a little different. I mean, I was raised in a family of four boys. And basically, it was competition all day long. I told you I was 13 before I realized my middle name wasn't Hey Jerk. Because uh, <coughs> um, yeah, we loved each other. You know, we slugged and hugged together. And, and, um, but with daughters, it was different. And I can remember, what do I do with a little girl? I mean, they were cute, you know, and they, they liked the little girly kind of things. And so I started playing Barbie. I was not good at Barbie. But you know, after a while, Barbie learned to throw a four-seam fastball and run a post pattern. You know, so you really can, you, 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 you can do, do some of those things along the way. And I also showed up for their activities. Uh, lots of parents have done that. My mom, I don't know how she did it. She worked all day and she'd be at ball games and, and she was just there. Another thing my mother did was brilliant. She'd be, at bedtime at night, she'd just kind of hang around, and we'd just start talking. Now, I don't know how she got to four beds at once. She just did it as a single mom. And kids pour out in teenage years what they're feeling when. Late at night, when you want to be in bed. That's when they're going to share with the real stuff that's going on. And I can remember, uh, you know, my daughters were, boys were in sports, but my two sons were more individual than they were team sports. I remember my youngest son said, Dad, can I quit all this stuff? Sure. They went to surfing. And one day he said, well, you don't think it's a sport, do you, Dad? And I went, Pfft. I started attending some of his surfing contests. But the other thing he did, he started a band, I mentioned this before, a Christian punk band. Now, folks, I know it's an oxymoron. <laughs> and I told you, it sounded a lot like a, a cross between a 747 and a traffic jam. But he would hold these at church, and we had a few of the folks in the church get their eyebrows, because this was a punk rock, but he only had five or 600 kids come out, about four or 500 of them were pagans. And so myself, and I got a couple of the football coaches and big guys. We were the bouncers, you know, saying, like, you, you, you can smoke outside in that circle. You've you got to leave the beer out there. Oh, you shouldn't allow that on a church campus. Well, we did. And then he'd be playing, and then they'd stop. And these teenage kids, I'm up there. I'm sitting in the back. I'm choking. My son's telling him, I don't know Jesus. One of them, they made some CDs. And, I mean, kids could understand. I never could understand what they were singing, but kids could, you know. And then I'd, he asked, Dad, would you film? Sure, son. I'll be back there filming. i was telling So I'd film this stuff, and we'd go home and have to watch it after we got home, and that was a whole other sacrifice on dad. Oh, son, that was great, man. You were great tonight, you know. And um, one day he gets a letter. It's a girl in Minnesota. She's 15, 16 years old, and she said, you know, um, I was going to overdose and kill myself. She says, but somebody gave me your CD, and I was listening to your song. And in it, you said this, and whatever the song was about, and it said that, I read the back part, you said, open your heart to Jesus, and I did. I just wanted you to know that. I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. She could understand the words. I mean, God still does miracles. You know, the whole part is you're part of their life, and you don't have to be perfect. The other thing we did was we prayed with them and for them. The second thing is responsibility. The second is responsibility, and you can write resourcefulness next to us, next to it. They have to learn to be contributors to the family, any family knows this, and also society. They have to learn to serve in the home. They're learning life is not all about them. It's not all about their wants and when they want to do it. And the earlier they learn that, the better. Prof. Hendricks used to say this, and I never forgot it, obviously, because I'm sharing it with you. He said, anything you do for a child that they can do for themselves, you cripple them at that point. I know moms are still picking up their teenagers' clothes, washing the dishes after, you know, Johnny comes home and eats and just goes and leaves stuff out. Mom and dad, I mean, I told my kids, I said, you know, when you get to college, there's no room service. And here's the question. At what point, at what age, for example, should a child learn to begin to pick up their room and do chores? How old do you think they should be? As Soon as they can. Yeah, we started at about two. No kid knows how to clean the room. So you have to sit down with them and say, now, we're going to put our shoes here. And they're, they're looking around like that. Yeah, go right here, put the shoe there. It's a pain, folks, but you begin to learn. They had to do dishes. In fact, we had a little list. I've told you this before. It was on the refrigerator. They wanted to go when they're I'm going to go out and see my friend. Oh, just check the refrigerator. Well, they knew that that meant. Did they do the stuff they were supposed to? Oh, Dad, Dad, come on. I'm already late. I said, oh, son, I'm so sorry. I said, let's go over and hug the refrigerator together, you know? <laughs> I said, all right, I'll tell you what, because this kingdom, which is a dictatorship, fortunately for you, is a benevolent dictatorship, the king is applying grace right now. You may go. When are you going to do it when you come back? Oh, Dad, I promise. Right, you know, before you go surfing in the morning? Sure, Dad. He get morning, and I say, hey, remember the list? The point was, they knew. And there wasn't a big argument because there were things they were responsible to do. And we didn't do that perfectly either, but it saved a whole lot of grief. How about money? I uh, didn't mention this in the first service, but when did your kids learn to manage money? You know, we did the old, it's not perfect, but it still works. We did the three envelopes. At the time little. they got their little allowance, it was a quarter, and then the, kids, the younger kids got more money as they got over. They, they went and got a dollar a week, you know. And uh, so some of it had to go into savings, some of it went what they're going to share, give to the Lord, and others, and then what they could spend. And we were out somewhere and they wanted to buy this new toy. I said, That's great. I said, How much do you have in your spend bucket, your spend envelope? They showed me, oh, honey, we're going to have to learn. you are going to have to earn some more before you can buy that. What do you mean? But I want it now. I said, I know. It's really hard. Life's tough. But we're going to have to earn some more. And they begin to learn life isn't handed to them on a platter. I told you this. I have a friend who's, who, uh, whose income would be more than all of us collectively. And I can say that safely. And uh, his kids wanted a car, and they're teenagers. I and mean, he could have bought a Ferrari. I don't mean a car. I mean the whole plant. He said, sure. He says, and I'll help you. You know, you need to chip in with it. So they chipped in, and he drove home an absolute piece of junk. <laughs> and he, he owns two jets, personally, but he, he did this. And you know what he says? He made him learn how to take care of it, change the oil, pay the insurance, and the whole thing. He could have bought him anything, and he refused to do it. Because he said, I want them to learn the value of life, not just money. And these, his kids are terrific. And they laugh about that and complain still. Now they can drive whatever they want. Kids need to be able, I just say this today, I've got to quickly move on. They need to exercise. You've read over and over, 40% of kids say growing up are, are obese in this country. Did you know that's at 40% now? I don't think it's the parents' fault. I mean, the kids' fault. I think as parents, we need to help them. And listen, food is great. There's all kinds of things. We all battle with it as we get older. But do we have them get outside and do things? Shut down the videos. Shut down the TV. All of our kids had to play some sport. They picked it. I didn't care whatever it was, but you know, They got older, they rode bikes, they skied, they surfed, they ran, they played the other sports, but they did something. And so we helped them. You helped them develop their own mental capacity. That's why we had rules. You have to do all your homework first, and you read, then you can watch TV for a limited time. Many of you have done that much better than we did. And then how about their spiritual growth? We can't make kids do anything, but we can model a love for Jesus, and we can pray with them and for them, and with their friends, and every day they know dad and mom are praying for them. And we can say, hey, you know, encourage them to show them how to soap or study the word for themselves. We can encourage them. And I, I'd take articles and things, I'd hand it to my kids, say, hey, tell me what you think of that. And we talk about it. And, it. and it wasn't there were certain times. We talk about God anytime, or you know, we talked about sports and a lot of other things too, but there was a connection, and we did it very imperfectly. But you know what? They thought God was involved in everything because he is and then remember this responsibility breeds resourcefulness and what's that our kids need to learn how to solve problems and overcome because it's an overcoming life how do you do that they'd come with problems say, hey dad mom what do you think of this and I you know they'd tell us about the problem I said well what do you think you should do I don't know I don't have a clue I said well wait a minute yeah you do have you had any thoughts at all well I thought of this I said that's good tell me more about that and you begin to give them confidence in their own ability to solve problems and when they come to you and they say, hey, we need more money. I said, oh. I put my arm around my son's back. Son, you're right. It's one of those things in life. We all need more money. I said, when you get more, can you loan me some? But I said, well, how do you think you can get that? Because I know what he's waiting for. He's waiting for dad, and I had it. I could have given it to him. In some cases, I did. I said, well, what do you think you could do to earn some more? Oh, I don't know, dad. I, don't. I said, well, you know what? Go think about it for 10 or 15 minutes. Come back. We'll make a plan. You're teaching them resourcefulness. So they can, now, kids can graduate from college today. We've all heard it. There's no jobs out there. But there's one thing. Kids who are taught at home, the biggest growth in jobs in America is what? Start your own. Start your own. Why not? This is a a land of entrepreneurship. Teach them how to do things. And they grow through that. And then the last one is respect. And I'll make this short because I could get off on this one for a while. Respect for who? For parents, for their siblings, for people around, for authority, consideration for others, and it's all about how they speak to people. That starts at home, and um, how they speak to you. Do they do what they're asked? It's respect, and, and uh, we had this little rule, and uh, that, that was there's no lip back to your parents, or there would be consequences. In fact, as grandparents, were having to help some of our kids. We have what we call uh, the papa ole or the grandma and grandpa no squawk rule when they come into our house. Because in their house, they run around, scream, fight, and push, just like I did when I was a kid with my brothers. But in grandpa's house, we say, oh, time out. And they're maybe fighting and crying. I said, oh, time out, time out. I said, remember the no squawk rule? I said, remember, if you've got to make noise, we're going to go outdoor. So we go outside, I say, you know what, you can go out and yell as loud as you could. In fact, if you go in the backyard and yell loud, we just chase the gophers out of my backyard. Grandpa will be really happy, and they go like, they're right in the middle of a tantrum, and they're yelling, and say, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to go outside. Which shows kids are far more in control than we think they are. And they just know it. That's not the rule at home. I say, I know, but grandma and grandpa rule here. See, this is our rules. And you love them, you don't have to, and, and, and you encourage that along the way so they find out. And if they, by the way, parents, if they defy you, you must win at any age. And some of us are afraid of that. How do you do that? When I had teens and one of the kids would be upset, I'd say, you know, I can really understand why you're upset. But you know what? Again, you keep lipping off at me or your mom. It's just going to be another wonderful weekend pulling weeds with dad. I can hardly wait. There's a whole new patch out there we're going to get. And they began to slow down a little bit. Because, folks, why? There will be authority in their life. They have to learn to respect authority even if they don't agree with it. Because someday they're not going to rule the world. They're going to work for somebody. They're going to have to work with people who are in authority. And that's why they're watching us. How do we handle it? And so you're helping them for the future. We were talking this week in staff, and one of the staff members was just saying, You know, I had to tell my son, you know, hey, I know there are some things you don't like, but he used this very line. He said, You know, Uh, you know, there are times we have to do things with authority that we really don't want to, and and we need to do that. So that's what he said. I don't want to mention any names, but his initials were Chad. And I said, great wisdom, great wisdom in working with his son. One other thing here is that we don't, kids were not allowed to talk back to teachers, or they had a bigger problem, because when they got home, they had to face me. Another one, parents, I see this over and over. I saw something here a week ago, and Adults go first in settings where there are people. Kids don't go to the front of the line. Kids learn to hold doors. I'm sorry, I'm old-fashioned, but what kind of respect are we teaching our kids? If there's an older parent or a grandparent, Johnny doesn't run and do it first. He holds the door for Grandma and Grandpa so they can go through. What are we teaching them about respect? You have to handle that one in your own home. It begins to communicate our care for people, and then finally take charge. And simply says this, if we've given up the leadership of our homes, we need to take it back. And we can do that. And so one of the ways you do it, and we've all failed our kids, I shared with the man after the first service. It's not too old. His kids are grown and gone. Just to say, you can go back and say, I just want you to know, dad wishes, there's mom wishes, I wish I could do things over. And I wish I had, you know, and maybe your kids are young, they're still in the house. that I realize I failed you by not taking the responsibility God asked me to. And I've let you get away with things that really... Uh, I shouldn't have. Now it's not your fault. It was mine. And I just want you to forgive me. And so we're going to start over. And your kids look at you like, you're crazy. But you go ahead and you go through it anyhow. It's never too late to tell your kids I blew it. Tell your grown kids that you've blown it. All that does is endear you to them and lets them know that you're real. And you say, it's not your problem. It's mine. And I'm accepting responsibility here. Notice God's charge to parents. Ephesians 4 says this. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And by the way, that's addressed to dads. Very few dads were the kind of spiritual leader their kids needed. It's still not too late. to you begin to seek Jesus even if they're grown and gone? Dads, and that's one of the great things about our Men's Summit, watching guys become spiritual leaders of their homes, learning to share in groups with each other. It's very, very exciting. It's great to watch that group grow as well. As a single parent, you need help, too, sometimes from the church. And will it be easy? Uh, I don't think so. By the way, what is it that exasperates kids, particularly from dads? When you discipline them in anger, that's the number one way to drive your kids away. So as I had to tell my kids, you know what? Your dad is really ticked off right now, so you go in your room, and they start vibrating. I'm going to go in this room, and would you pray God gets hold of me because I am really ticked off. I had to tell them that many times because I was. And I wouldn't come out of there until God had calmed me down. I wish I could say I did it perfectly all the time, but I didn't. But they knew that's what dad was doing in that room. And this won't be easy at first. Another thing, by the way, that frustrates kids is when there's permission or there's irregular. One time they do something and they get nailed for it. The next time they do it, nobody says anything. There's got to be some consistency in how we discipline and how we correct. And as we said before, another one that frustrates them, if they do things right and it never, the only time they're recognized is when they mess up, that'll frustrate any child. Just like it does you when you go to work. Nobody ever says anything to you positively. It's just when you mess up, then you hear about it. God never intended for families to work that way. Then look at the next verse. A youngster's heart is filled with foolishness, but discipline will drive it away. How many believe that verse is true? How many think your brand new little cute little grandkid? His heart's filled with foolishness? Yeah? Who is this true of? How many people on earth is this verse true of? every one of us who lives on the earth. We're born with a bent to do what we want. And it says discipline. First of all, there's a lot of misunderstanding. I, I remember watching one of our little grandkids a few years ago who walked into our, it was our living room, we had, our family room had some things out, and, and you could see her eyes going right for him. Her mommy says, now, don't do that. She looks right at her mommy, smiles, and puts her hands out. She's gonna grab it. Now, who taught her how to do that? Nobody, that's just that greedy little selfish nature right, that we have. They have to be taught to do what's right, right? And so, but it says discipline drives it far from them. It simply says this, that discipline is that choices have consequences, right? Our choices have consequences. And that we help them along the way with that. Discipline, however, is not limited to correction. In fact, it says bring them up. Half of discipline is instructing on how to do it the right way. And sometimes if your child defies you or sasses you, you stop right away and you simply say what? You may not talk that way. You need to go to your room, obviously, those kinds of things. And if they continue to do that, you do what? You say, you know what? We're going to have to apply the Board of Education to the seat of higher learning until you you get the point of what I'm trying to say here. By the way, spanking obviously is not effective with teenagers. It simply says this. If there is defiance in your family, parents, you must act upon that. Or you will harm your children. You must act upon it. It will take great courage. And you also need to determine if little, is it simply childish irresponsibility? I mean, if they spilled their milk, they don't get disciplined. Some of you are disciplined hard when you were kids because you spilled the milk. That's, that's, that's just abuse. But if little Leroy keeps dumping it out every time you fill it, guess what? You need to act on that one. But you must act. and You must step in. And you are... You'll produce grief later on if you do not. Notice this verse. If you refuse to discipline your children, it proves you don't love them. If you love your children, you will be prompt to discipline them. What's that about? And how do we do that? Very quickly, simply say this. Does God ever correct you and me? You bet he does. He corrects us all the time. We don't recognize it's him sometimes. But God corrects us. He takes me to the woodshed frequently to remind me that I'm following him, not my own. And 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 simply along the way, the scripture says God corrects every child until we're not here anymore. Why? So that that child can know God's best. And one of the ways we do that is we tie privileges to responsibilities. And it simply says this: uh, We were working with a missionary friend of ours in another country a few years ago. The son was now twenty, but he wasn't getting up, going to school, he wasn't going to work, and uh, he just wasn't doing anything. So I sat down, talked with mom and dad. They overindulge sons in this particular country. The daughters were hard workers, but the son was just led to do whatever he wanted. And so I walked in, and I said, OK. And his dad wanted me to talk to the son. I said, we'll do it together. The son said, my parents don't make me do anything I don't want to do. I said, you hear what he said? This is your son. And I said, so you want them? He says, yeah, I do. Amazing. And so we talked about privileges and responsibilities. And simply said, what are the privileges in this family? He says, I don't know. I said, well, did you buy the house? No. I said, but you live here, right? Yeah, uh-huh. And how about your food? Do you buy that? Well, no. And who fixes it for you? Well, they do. Uh-huh. And how about your, your and this is another problem, who, who changes your bed? Well, they do. You know, This whole thing, it went on and on. And the kid began to catch it before Dad did. And part of it was they'd been raised in this culture. And then we talked about what do you want to do? Well, he always just wanted to go spend time with his girlfriend. And so we taught Dad the difference between there's responsibilities and what are the chores This son began to have chores at age 20 for the first time in his life. He had to get up. He had to go to school. If he wanted to go see his girlfriend, he didn't have a driver's license yet, so the parents had to drive him. I said, well, that's easy. You don't drive them. And parents, Kevin Lehman has done a wonderful job in his book, New Kids by Friday, and the essential theme is this. How many times do you ask a child to do something? How many think it's less than 10? How many think it's less than 5? Yeah. How many thinks it's what? Uno. You ask them once; they're not 16 warnings. And if they don't, when you ask it in a certain time allotment, now you begin. There are consequences. And any parent of teenagers is very simple. Your kid won't do what you want. Do they have a, I asked him, Do you have a cell phone? He said, Yeah. I said, Who gave it to you? Your parents. Do you have a computer? He had a computer. Parents very simple. If he's not going, he's not going to go call his girlfriend because you got the cell phone. He's not going to the computer because you now have the computer. He's not going to have the car. You don't have to yell, you don't have to scream, you just have to take action steps the first time. I've had parents say, I can't make little Susie eat. She's three years old and she just throws a fit. I said, No problem. I said, Well, she said, What do I do? I said, Well, you're having lunch. She'll sit there and she won't eat. And say, Do you want to eat? No. Okay, are you all done? Yes. What do you do? You take the dinner, you wrap it up, and you put it in the refrigerator. So what happens in about 40 minutes? What does little Susie say? Mommy, I'm hungry. Oh, honey, I'm so sorry. I know. Mommy, I'm hungry. I want something to eat. Oh, but, honey, you didn't eat at lunch. I know, but I'm hungry now. And she throws a fit and a tantrum. And what does mommy say? Honey, in about four more hours, we're going to eat at supper time. You know what they've discovered? Very few children have died in that four hour period. <laughs> and you know how long it took little Susie to start eating? Four hours later. It's amazing. And parents, you don't have to yell, scream, or threaten. You just have to act. You say it once. Now, kids are a lot smarter than us, so they know all the ways around your one time. So you need to get ahead of that game and figure out it still means one time means one. Dan Allender, who's written many books, wonderful counselor, tells the story of when he was a teenager. He had a car. Fortunately, his dad was smart enough to still own 51% of it. And Dan was defying his dad. He was not yet a believer at the time. And he basically said, I'm not doing it because I don't want to do it. And he went off to school. His dad told him, he said, I've told you one more time you defy me. There will be some consequences. I don't care. Went off to school. He came home. He came home from school and he, went, he looked for his car. He said, hey, dad, where's my car? He said, I sold it. <laughs> what do you mean you sold it? It's my car. Excuse me, I own 51%. <laughs> yeah, but I paid money for it. Yeah, I know. I got the money for you. I can give it to you if you're a college fund. I sold it. Kid went crazy. But then he reports, he said, that night, he was so mad at his dad, he thought of shooting him or all these things. He said, something else happened in me. For the first time in my life, he said, I don't know, I thought about God. A couple weeks later, he went to a youth group somewhere. He heard about Jesus. It was about six months after that, he gave his life to Christ. He said, that was the turning point in my life. That I realized there are consequences to my choices. and He said, I couldn't figure it all out then. He said, best thing my dad ever did in my life was take a defiant kid and act. And he said, turn my life around. God knows what he's doing. Yes, it's difficult. No, it's not easy. It simply comes back to this, to do what's right, even if it's not popular. Because it comes down to this, parents. Every parent has to ask this question, who am I trying to please, my kids or God? And your kids will work you. I don't have to account to my kids when I get to heaven. I have to answer to God, and he doesn't ask me to be a popular parent. He doesn't even ask me to have my kids turn out right. He simply says, did you do what I asked you to do? And when you come to that place, you've passed over. It gives you strength to your kids. It's easier to love them. You know, they can go nuts. They can do whatever they want, but it's not going to change. You need to ask God to help you do what's right. But you're free now. You're free to act in a new way. And you're going to do what's best for that child. Is it hard? Absolutely it's difficult. You need supernatural assistance along the way to do that. And so you ask for God's help. And then finally, pray as if their life is dependent upon it. Because the truth is, it is. This last verse says, we haven't stopped praying for you. Asking God to give you wise minds and spirits attuned to his will. And so acquire a thorough understanding of the ways in which God works. We'll pray that you'll live well for the master, making him proud as you work hard in his orchard. As you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. We pray you will have the strength to stick it out over the long haul. That particular passage from Colossians 1, I memorized in the NIV, Colossians 1, prayer, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, and Philippians 1. And I would pray those over my kids. Because at times I didn't know how to pray. I figured those prayers in the New Testament teach me how. God wants to use you. And he will to raise up a godly next generation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being the kind of God who loves us so much you get involved in our life, who loves us so much that you lead us to do what's right. Thank you for telling us that there are choices to, consequences to our choices. But we praise you for being a God of grace and mercy. And I pray for every parent here, for everyone who will be a parent someday. Mm -hmm. For every grandparent that you'll encourage us to get close to you. I also want to pray for parents right now who carry pain and guilt. I pray you'll comfort them to know it's never too late to do what you want. Even now, help them to bless adult grown children. Help us to love and to pray the way you pray for us. Thank you, Father, for the way that you parent us. Thank you that you draw us to yourself. You've come to bless our lives, to make us a blessing to the world around us. I pray for each parent, for each grandparent, and for those who will be parents, that you will grant us the grace to connect with your heart, to carry out your great design for our lives. Bless your people. Thank you for them. Use us this week as we go into this world to make a difference for you. We pray it in Christ's name and all God's family said. God bless you. Turn and greet two or three people you've never met on the way out. Have a wonderful day.